We are just getting started, uh, not with our worship service, um, but when we read in just a moment about the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2, we're just getting started. Jesus is born, he's laid in a manger to sleep, that's not the end of the story. Uh, Luke's gospel is 24 chapters long, there's a lot more of the story to tell, and then beyond that, the whole story of how Jesus raises up and draws to himself a people from every nation on the earth and how he uses his people to extend his goodness until he comes again. We are just getting started when we read about the birth of Jesus and telling a much bigger story. The Christian church has always connected the celebration of Jesus' first coming, his birth, with the anticipation of his second coming, his return. He's not just the king who came once, and that's the end of the story. He came once to begin doing something that a couple of weeks ago in a sermon we called healing the wounds of our world. He came once to begin that healing work, and he will come again to complete that work, to heal every wound. Tonight, we want to see how the beginning of the story points to that bigger story. We'll get started on the beginning as Megan reads to us from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a minute and pray together. Lord, tonight we pray that you would open our ears. Um, Some of us have heard this story so many times that we may be tempted to just kind of check out for a few minutes and think of other things because we've heard it all before. Some of us have never really paid attention. We have heard your name. We have seen sort of your impact on culture, but we don't really take you seriously. And so these words have very little meaning for us. If that's where we are, Lord, open our ears to hear good news about who you really are. Lord, some of us are, are finding ourselves in a difficult place tonight. We've, um, we've listened to this story about you and longed for it and loved it, but something is standing between us and you right now. And, and so we pray that you would open our ears that we would hear that you have drawn near to be all that we need. Lord, however we come before you tonight, open our 
ears, we pray in your name. Amen. So what if, what if none of this is real? What if, what if the only reason we talk about Jesus coming into the world is because Hallmark stores need to sell a few more ornaments every year? What if people who like to make cutesy little cartoon versions of manger scenes just needed more material to work with? What, what, if, what if that's the main reason that there's a story about Jesus coming into our world? What, what if none of it's real at all? What if it's all kind of a make-believe tradition we keep even though we know it isn't true, but we keep it anyway? What if we live in a world where the wounds are real, but the healer isn't? Um, good news tonight. It's all real. We live in a world where there are real wounds, and there's real healing for those wounds because Jesus has drawn near to us. How did this story about the birth of Jesus show God's people from the very beginning that we live in a world where there are real wounds? Let's start with these wounds. We live in a world that's torn by conflict, a world where human beings are willing to mistreat other people in the name of peace and progress. The moment you mention Caesar Augustus, and Quirinius, the governor of Syria, in the first century, you have already sent that signal. You have already said, we live in that kind of world. Augustus became Caesar, uh, <clears throat> emperor of the Roman Empire, 27 years before uh, Jesus was born. And um, he ruled until Jesus was, you know, kind of a teenager. Um, and what was he known for? Well, he's known for being a dictator. He was known for doing whatever it took to impose the power of Rome on as many people as possible. And his very name, Augustus, means one who is worthy of divine honor. This is a man who insisted on being named by the Senate of his empire, a name that said, I am a god. Quirinius was a governor in Syria from 6 A.D. until 12 A.D., and um, he's famous for taking a census a few years after Jesus was born. Um, <clears throat> so maybe the census here that Luke mentions either happens before Quirinius is governor or maybe as the ESV translation shows in a little footnote, Maybe the right translation is this registration happened before Quirinius was the governor of Syria. I think that's the right way to read it, but um, either way, he's famous for taking a census a few years after Jesus was born so that um, everybody who lived in Palestine knew the Roman Empire controls you and everything you own. And anytime they ask for it, they can demand as much of your money as they want. So everybody go to your hometown and tell them everything you own and be ready. And the Jewish people resented this so much that they began to rebel, and eventually this led to a revolt 
that um, caused the Roman army to invade Jerusalem and destroy the temple in the year 70 A.D. So Luke is telling a story that's already about a world where there are people who will say, you know what, all the world, right? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. We have power to control all the world. It would be good for all the world if they would just give us their resources. We control you and your money, and if you give it to us, we'll use it for peace. Some of you might lose your freedom and your dignity in the process, but trust us. We live in a world where there are real wounds. And there are people offering healing, saying if everybody everywhere would give their allegiance to Caesar, the wounds of the world would be healed. If everybody everywhere would give their allegiance to the people who have the most power, the most money, the biggest army, everything would be better. We also live in a world where there's another kind of wound, a spiritual wound, I'll put it this way. It's a world where we live on the wrong side of the mountains, where human faithlessness seems to be stronger than God's promises. You see, Luke is telling us a story about Joseph and Mary who have to get from Nazareth, where they live, to Bethlehem. It's about a four days walk. And they're walking to a town called the House of Bread, Bethlehem, right? The house where food is abundant. Bethlehem sits on a mountain ridge. If if you Google it, you'll see there's this amazing line that runs down this ridge of mountains. As water, uh, moisture comes in from the Mediterranean Sea, and it hits this mountain ridge, rain falls. And so on the western side of this mountain ridge, everything is lush and green and fertile, and fields are abundant, and flocks can graze, and livestock uh, can survive, and, and animals can flourish, and people can live and flourish because crops can grow and harvests are plentiful. But if you cross over just to the other side of that mountain ridge, the clouds don't make it that far. All the rain falls on one side and on the other side. Barren wilderness, nothing grows. It's a hostile place for people to try to survive and live. And um, that kind of imagery became a pattern, a symbol throughout the scriptures for two kinds of spiritual conditions of the human heart. Land flowing with milk and honey. Gardens flourishing. Uh, Every man sitting under his own fig tree was was the uh, image that one prophet used. Um, My cup overflows with wine. Well, where did we get the wine from? These grapevines that are growing on the right side of the mountains. This this sense of, of life being vibrant and full and overflowing in abundance. That, that's walking in the kind of relationship with God that human beings were created for. And then there's all this imagery throughout Scripture of dryness and being in a desert and wilderness and, and wilting and your soul fainting because... That kind of connection with God is missing. Um, Joseph and Mary are walking to Bethlehem, and it's the city of David. 
Why are they going there? Well, you had to go to the place where your family is from to register. And Luke tells us that Joseph was from the house and lineage of David. God had promised that one day a king would come from David's line, and under his leadership, all nations would live on the right side of the mountains. Under his leadership, everyone would see the the light that comes from the God who has made us and who promises to bless us with flourishing, abundant life. And just to read a snippet from one of the songs about the coming of this king. This is Psalm 72. If you ever want to know, just briefly, um, what were people hoping for when they were hoping for a king who would come? Psalm 72 summarizes it. Here's just a couple verses about this king who would come from the line of David. May there be abundance of grain in the land. See, we're on the right side of the mountains. On the tops of the mountains, may the grain wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. On the right side of the mountains, everything grows and flourishes and blooms. There's plenty. Verse 17 of this psalm, 72. May his name, the name of this king who will lead us to this life on the right side of the mountains, may his name endure forever and his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed because of him. May all nations call him blessed. We live in a a world with real wounds where we live on the wrong side of the mountains. And we don't always experience this kind of life where we are right with God and all of his blessings are coming to us. And God is saying there is real healing in this world. If everybody everywhere would just give their allegiance, not to Caesar, but to God's king, then the wounds of the world would be healed. And that's where our story runs into a problem. As Mary and Joseph are walking from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the city of David, there hasn't been a king on David's throne for 600 years. God raised up David, to be the kind of king who would lead his people to life on the right side of the mountains. But the kings after David didn't give their allegiance to God, nor did the people. They drifted so far from God that eventually God allowed them to be taken into captivity by the Babylonian army in the year 586. So it's been 600 years since God's people were really living on the right side of the mountains, so to speak. And now instead of being a beacon, drawing the nations of the world to to live in that right relationship with God and experience this flourishing life, God's own people are living on the wrong side of the mountains too. There's one more kind of wound that's implied in our story. Mary and Joseph have now made it to 
Bethlehem. And while they were there, verse 6 says, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and, and he needed to nurse. The text doesn't mention that. It doesn't have to. Anybody who's been around the birth of a newborn knows that there are a few things that have to happen right off the bat. We've got to deal with this umbilical cord. Okay, I didn't want to deal with that, and I told the doctor that because I'm not that good with blood, and he tricked me. Like, he definitely fooled me. He distracted me, and while I had my back turned, he said, here, hold this, and gave me a set of clamps, and I held it, and then he said, now, here, do this, and I did it, and then I was like, oh, no. <clears throat> there are certain things that have to be done. We've got to do something about that umbilical cord. We've got to nurse this baby. This baby came into this world where life is fragile. And if he wasn't nursed, he wasn't going to survive. So Mary nurses him. And then she does what every peasant mother would have done in the first century. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Why? He needed to stay warm. And he needed to stay soothed. Tiny babies used to being in the womb, right? It's comfy and cozy. And then he's suddenly out and limbs are sprawling everywhere. And wrap him up in this snug set of cloths so that he can settle down again and sleep. And then she lays him in a manger so that he can do just that. This is a baby who needs to nurse. He needs to stay warm. He needs to be soothed. And he needs to sleep. All of these are reminders that we live in a world where life is fragile. Without this kind of care, babies don't thrive. In fact, without care, babies don't survive. This world isn't kind to life. We live in a world where life is fragile, and it reminds us that we're all longing for a kind of life that isn't fragile. We're all longing for a kind of life that's so strong it can't be weakened in any way or taken away from us. A kind of life where at every moment things are overflowing with so much goodness that every person has everything they need. A kind of life that's overflowing with love so that no baby, no person, no adult is ever alone. Jesus came into our world as a real human baby, needy and fragile, foreshadowing the fact that in his life he was going to experience every kind of human weakness, that in his crucifixion he was even going to experience the penalty for human faithlessness. Even though his heart always lived on the right side of the mountains, he was treated on the cross like he had always lived on the wrong side. And in his resurrection, he secured for everyone who puts their trust in him a kind of life so strong, physically, spiritually, emotionally, morally, relationally, so strong in every way that it can't be weakened and it can't be taken away. There is real healing for the real wounds of our world if everybody everywhere will give their allegiance to Jesus, the wounds of the world will be healed. The good news for all of us tonight is all of this is real. The wounds are real. 
and the healer is real. He can heal you if you will give yourself to him, and he can use you to heal the wounds of this world. He, he can use you to bring life from his side of the mountains to people who are needy and lonely and feeling how fragile life is. People who are far from his father. He can use us to bring healing into this world. He came once to begin this work of healing. And as we're hearing tonight, through our songs and through our scripture readings, he's going to come again and complete the work he began. We're just getting started. This is a big story. Won't you be part of it? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, draw us more deeply into this story. <clears throat> if, we, um, if we see the wounds of the world, but we think they can't be healed, help us to find hope in you. If we see the wounds of the world and we're not certain how they can be healed, help us to search for truth to answer that question. Because when we find the truth about the healing of the world, we will find you. We pray in your name. Amen.